Come, Holy Spirit, fill this place with your presence. Form us into the image of Christ. May we know your love today as we have never known it before. Abba, Father, we pray that you would please help us to be attentive to your word. Help us to feed and be fed by you. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Well, when I was in seminary and someone asked me how I was doing that day, my knee-jerk reaction would be to say, I'm making it, or I'm surviving. I really like that one. I'm surviving. For me, that was a mashup of saying, I'm busy, and I'm stressed. Don't talk to me. If there were two words that could define American life, is busy and it's busy and stressed. I'm sure that busyness and stress is something we have all struggled with or currently are struggling with today. We're stressed because of work. We're stressed because of procrastination, family conflict, money, and because we don't like being stressed and busy. There are a thousand reasons for stress, and, and what do we usually do when we're stressed out? We usually try to medicate it by working harder, exercising, binge-watching a TV show, drinking too much maybe. Maybe it's gossiping with friends, and maybe it's looking at pornography. All of this to escape the feeling of being overwhelmed by the stress and busyness of life. And all the stress and busyness makes me wonder, what are we striving for? What is our end goal and vision in life? As humans, we are motivated by our vision for the good life as our end goal. We want a good life. And it's usually what we imagine a happy or abundant life would look like if things would just go our way. So how do our desires and our desire for the good life connect? We are stressed and busy because we don't have what we imagine we should have. We have not achieved this good life, this end goal. Whatever it might be, it might be a big house, a perfect vacation, a, a happy family, success, money, whatever it is, we still haven't achieved it. So we keep striving, stressed, and busy. But what if there was a different way to live? What if we're aiming for the wrong vision of the good life? And compared to our hectic, busy, and stressed out lives, Psalm 23 looks very different. Psalm 23 gives us a vision for the good life and the way to get there. But what is the good life? What is this thing we're supposed to desire? Well, as Christians, people who are Christians, we are called, we have one, only one end and goal and vision in the good life. As Jesus Christ says in John 17, 3, now this is eternal life, that you know, that they know you, excuse me, that this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. David said the same thing differently at the end of Psalm 23, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Everything in our life, our work, our families, friends, hobbies, are all supposed to be aligned and help us achieve this end goal, knowing God and enjoying him forever. This is what we're created for. 
And in this sermon, we'll explore how God provides and guides us as his sheep and guests as we journey towards the kingdom of God. Now, the fame of Psalm 23 can make it kind of difficult to hear its message. It's easy to hear the psalm as we say it with, you know, babbling brooks and green pastures and pastel colors sort of wafting through your brain. Is this for real life? Does this really work? We need only look to David's life. He was a fugitive. He was a king. He was an adulterer, a warrior, and he was betrayed by his son, just to name a few things, to see that this psalm is for real life. It does have something to say to us today. It's for us stressed out, busy, mourning, angry, hurt people who need the good shepherd and host. Now, David uses these two metaphors to articulate his experience of God's provision and guidance. The Lord as a shepherd and the Lord as a host of a magnificent banquet. And these two metaphors are, are not just found in this psalm, they're found throughout scripture. For example, in the prophets, God is called the shepherd who rescues, redeems, and comforts Israel. In our gospel reading, we see Jesus pick up the image and identify himself as the good shepherd. And the image of host is, is most obvious in the Lord's Supper, but we can also see it in two parables in Luke, the parable of the lost sheep and the prodigal sons. When the shepherd celebrates the return of the lost sheep, he throws a magnificent banquet, and the father welcomes back his prodigal son by throwing him a banquet. So where there is a shepherd, there is a sheep, and where there is a host, there are guests. And these two images of shepherd and host tell us a lot about the life of the sheep and guests of God. They tell us about what it means to be disciples of God. And the core reality of this discipleship, of life with God and seeking his, and his, seeking his kingdom, is a total dependence and reliance on him. Now with this in mind, put that, you know, put that pin in it, put a pin in that. Let us turn to see how the Lord cares for his sheep and banquet guests, as we see in Psalm 23. So in verses 2 through 5, we see that these two basic realities about the life of a sheep and a guest of the Good Shepherd, that God provides and guides his sheep and guests as they journey to their end goal, life with God. We see the first image of provision in verses 2, 3, and 5 as God provides rest, restoration, and abundant, overflowing sustenance for his beloved sheep and guests. For the sheep, the shepherd provides everything. If you think about the life of a sheep, they need everything given to them. Everything, they depend on their shepherd for everything in their life. Rest, food, work, movement, everything, the shepherd is there to guide. But today I want to focus especially on rest to respond to our busy and stressed out lives. The shepherd does, doesn't give the sheep an option. Rest is mandatory for the sheep. He makes them rest. Because the shepherd has our best in mind, because he is truly the good shepherd, he makes us rest and takes us where we need to go for our own good. But how do we rest well? And what is this rest that God gives? Now, have you ever sat down on a Friday afternoon, or maybe you'll do it this Sunday afternoon, and you felt exhausted from a long week of work? And so what do you do? 
you turn on a TV or your computer or your iPad, and you unplug for a while. You deserve it. You've worked hard. Now tell me something and be honest with yourselves. Do you really feel rested afterwards? Do you feel energized? I don't. Or maybe you go on a long vacation, and we, I, I'm sure everyone has experienced this at some point in their lives. And you go on a long vacation of wor- after working overtime, and you come back from your vacation more exhausted than you were when you left. You need a vacation from your vacation, and that's a spiral that never ends. The rest that God gives us is not unplugging or zoning out. It is restorative. It connects us to our true source of life. True rest means spending time with the shepherd. Rest means being nourished and realigned with our end goal and vision of the good life. That is fellowship with God. For the Israelites, this was what the Sabbath was all about. Realigning their lives week by week towards God as a family and a nation. So how do we truly rest? We rest by spending time with our shepherd and host who feeds and cares for us. So we see that God provides rest for his sheep and guests. And in verses 3, 4, and 5, we learn that God guides his sheep and guests. David says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Another way to translate that first part of the phrase is, he leads me in right paths. And as disciples of Jesus, the question we need to ask is, what is the right path and the goal to that path? We've already established that the goal, to this, the goal of, the, of that path is, Christ, is communion with God. This is what Jesus says in John 10, 10. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. That is the end goal. And Jesus gives us his very life as the right path to our goal. When you become a Christian, you put your faith in Christ and are baptized into his body, you are given the life of Jesus. Everything that Jesus had and accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection is yours through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the path to communion with God. But one thing that I find really hard as I walk this path is understanding and knowing how God guides me. Maybe you've struggled with this. Maybe you've experienced deep doubt as you're trying to make an de- a, a important decision in your life. Maybe it was about the person you were going to marry, the school you're going to attend. Maybe it's more simple things like how do I care for my parents or how do I care for my spouse better? How does God guide me? Growing up in the church and asking this question, there was a ton of anxiety around this for me because I was afraid if I made the wrong decision, I'd veer off and be on the wrong path. Oh man, they just like, there's this good path and there's this less good path that if you behave badly, that's the one you're going to be on. I don't know if that's your experience. This was mine, and uh, I can only speak out of my experience. Um, so how does God guide us? Well, I think the first thing we need to recognize is that Jesus is with us. He loves us, and he doesn't abandon us. Even when we make a wrong decision or a less good decision, God is still there and guides us. And then when we're coming to make a decision, I think What's important is to think about all the decisions in our lives as focused towards our end goal. Now, you might have some, you know, peripheral end goals like, you know, having a good job, raising a family, you know, who you're going to marry, all of these things. 
But all of those have to be aligned to our end goal as Christians, to union and communion with God. So whatever, whatever decisions we make in our daily lives, that's our end goal. A, a, way, a way to consider that in relation to a particular decision is, will this help me love God and my neighbor better? Will this help me be a better servant? And then something else that I find in my decision making is I have to let go of self-interest. I don't know about you, but sometimes I ask God to guide me, all the while thinking, I just want him to affirm and confirm what I already want. <laughs> we have to let go of what we think we want and we think will be best, and really, truly ask for the wisdom to know and seek what he wants for us. This might, in fact, I would say that just this simply does require us to ask for advice, to submit to those who uh, have the wisdom, uh, have authority in our lives, be it your spouse or parents. Ask for help. We don't do these decision-making things alone. And then finally, or second to finally, we trust in God that he will work things out for our good, even if we don't end up making the best decision. We do our very best and with the knowledge and the wisdom that we have before of us. And sometimes it just doesn't go well but we still trust that God will bring us through. And friends, this, this is important. I, I struggle with this, to be honest. I struggle with making good decisions or wanting to make the best decision. I'm a perfectionist. I'm a recovering perfectionist. So for me, I have to take these decisions one day at a time. I look for the goal. I try to make the best decision with my wife and, and those who are in my family and, and, and the wisdom that I seek. And I take that decision one day at a time, surrendering the anxiety and the fear that I did the wrong thing. And I trust that God is with me. All the while, sometimes, maybe more than we'd like to admit, the right decision doesn't always feel good. It doesn't feel like that bright, sunny path, that green pasture. Sometimes the right decision feels like a dark valley. Sometimes we happen to walk down a dark valley, whatever decision we're making. And the Lord is still with us. He still is present with us. And this is what we see in verse four. And I'm sure that all of us have experienced some kind of dark valley in life. Death. Maybe some of us struggle with depression. Maybe we've been through a horrible divorce. Struggled with financial insecurity. Maybe we've been betrayed or abused. Maybe we or one of our close family members struggle with an addiction. They're all dark valleys that we go through. And our response to these dark valleys, at least mine is, is to run away, distract, and medicate the pain. But what do we see that, what does David do in the psalm? He looks to the good shepherd who, who is there to guide him on the path through the darkness, on the way to communion with God, and protects David, and the good shepherd protects David with his rod and staff. Perhaps some of you are in that dark valley now. Jesus is there with you. He understands how painful and lonely it is because he's been through his own deep, dark valley for us all. Also know, and I say this with hesitancy because this is hard to hear when you're in a dark valley or when you've been through one. 
that God does use and can use dark valleys to teach and form us as we, go the pa- as we walk the path to communion with God in heaven. Let me speak out of my own experience, um, so you know I'm not making this up. <laughs> so before I got this job, we moved, my wife and I and my, my daughter moved here uh, in December. Before we got this job, I was, we were three months uh, homeless, basically. We were living in a uh, couple's basement, and we were, uh, Lindsay was working, I was staying at home with Marin, and I, when we moved out of our house, we didn't have any prospects for a job. Um, this was a really hard time. It was, it was, it gutted my ego to a level that I had never felt before. As the guy, you know, you're supposed to provide and all of that. And I, I couldn't. That was very difficult. And God used this valley to strip me of my illusions of control over my life. Every day I had to wake up and surrender my desire to be in control and fix the situation. You can only fill out so many ap- job applications in a day. And even then, you can't convince the people who are seeing those applications to hire you. Every day, every minute, I was aware of my anxiety and desire to be in control. I had to surrender that to God and ask for his comfort and strength to continue on. I didn't always do it well. Patience was paper thin. I would easily snap at Lindsay. I was exhausted. But slowly, I learned, and I continue to learn, to let go of my fear and trust that he is the good shepherd who leads and comforts me. (laughs) Even as I wrote this sermon, I struggled to believe the sermon I was writing. (laughs) And practice the reality, this reality. This is, but the good news is, my friends, that Jesus does guide me and he does guide you. And his goodness and mercy surround you as he takes us to this final goal, towards what we were created for, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My friends, Jesus is guiding us to our real home where we are known, loved, and at rest with the lover and creator of our whole being. So let me ask you a question. Where are you this morning? That is my daughter, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Marin. Are you running away from the good shepherd? Maybe you don't even want to be a sheep of this shepherd. Maybe you don't even know any of this is real. Are you on the edge of despair in a dark valley? Are you burned out or stressed out? Have you lost your sense of direction and purpose in life, in your marriage, parenting, friendships? Are you lonely? If you find yourself in any of these places, the good shepherd is calling you home. Jesus goes out to find the one lost sheep and celebrates over him with absolute love and joy. Jesus walked the dark path of death for us so that we could walk his path of life with him. Friends, Jesus the shepherd became a lamb so that we, to die for us so that we could have life in God and have our sins taken away. And friends, becoming a sheep of the good shepherd does mean something. It means that we must accept his gift of life. We can't call him my shepherd and say, I shall not want if we have not surrendered our lives to God and accepted him. And friends, we have to do this both 
when we become Christians and on a daily basis? Have you surrendered your life to him? He's calling you home. Perhaps you've done that in the past, but you need his strength to carry on. He's calling you home. The shepherd and guest of the good shepherd, the sheep and guest of the good shepherd are disciples who walk the path toward the fullness of communion with God in heaven. So how does Jesus encourage us today through Psalm 23? I think that the image of rest and guidance are a good place for us to look. I personally found them encouraging, so I'd like to share that with you. As we saw earlier, as sheep of the good shepherd, we are made to rest and to be refreshed in relationship with Jesus. And in a culture of distraction and passive consumption and entertainment, frankly, finding real rest is difficult. And paradoxically, it actually takes discipline and effort. Finding real rest takes discipline and effort. And as Christians, I I would propose that the foundation of real rest is our relationship with God, which we participate in both personally and corporately. As Augustine, St. Augustine says, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. So the beginning of real rest is actually active participation in the worship of the church. In worship, we are realigned towards our purpose and end goal, communion with God. And we're given sustenance to walk the long path home. We're a pilgrim people on the journey to heaven. And this is where we find our meaning and purpose and direct one another towards God. Now, friends, I've been growing in the church since I was a kid. I know that worship doesn't always feel like rest. Because I think, this is, again, my experience, I think it doesn't feel like rest because we are in the habit of thinking of rest as unplugging. That passive consumption. But if we stick to it through the boredom and tiredness, we find that it is real rest because in it, God restores and enlivens us for life with him. My friends, in church, we are made to lie down in the green pasture of our Lord and restored by the living water of Jesus through word and sacrament. So participating in weekly worship, not just showing up or just showing up once a month or however you want to play it, is one of the most significant ways for us to rest and be restored. So as we rest on Sundays in worship, we also need to make time for resting with God in our daily lives as well. This means saying no to certain things. This means actually being disciplined in our spiritual lives. It might mean saying no to three hours of TV a night or Sunday afternoon football or zoning out on YouTube or your iPad. So you can actually do things that really matter. Spending time in prayer quality time with family, taking a real nap, and reading things that give your life, give you life and fill your soul. Friends, engaging in the presence of God and things that are, of, that are valuable and of worth and actually revive you, that is rest. And when we practice this discipline of rest, we slowly realize that our whole days are saturated with the presence and glory of God. So, are you struggling with stress and busyness? Let me suggest that you don't go on a vacation or you're gonna come home stressed and busy. Prioritize prayer and actively participating in worship 
This is what reorients us to our true goal, our true aim, rest and life with God. And secondly, guidance is the other image we saw in our passage today. And earlier I suggested a few ways for us to think about the guidance, uh, about God's guidance. And I want to conclude this sermon by pointing to a simple discipline that helps us attend to the work of the Spirit in our everyday life as God, God's, God guides us to do his will. Now, this isn't a miraculous thing. Uh, this is quite simple. That's something I've found personally transforming. And the first step in, in this discipline is actually accepting that the life you have is the one that God gives you. I've spent way too much of my life wishing for a different one, which is insanity. The theologian Dallas Willard said it this way, we must accept the circumstances we constantly find ourselves in as the place of God's kingdom and blessing. God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. The life we have is the only one we have. Accepting it and learning from, it through God, learning from God through it is the way forward. And friends, we actually need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us accept our lives because it can be so difficult. But we, we have to accept, ask the Holy Spirit to help us accept the circumstances we are in as the place to learn and grow. So when you get frustrated or you get anxious or angry, you snip at your husband or wife, you're frustrated with your kids, get frustrated while you're driving, these are all actually opportunities for the Holy Spirit to make us more like Jesus. These are moments of sanctification. These are holy moments when God is guiding us to let go of our sin and put on Christ. If we attend to these moments and ask for God's presence to fill them, we will notice and experience God's guidance daily. When we recognize that God's guidance is focused on making us like Jesus in our daily lives, the stress and busyness of life can slowly subside because we see that God is in control and is leading us one moment at a time. So here's an example, an appropriate one, um, since Maren just made a little squeak earlier. My daughter recently discovered that she has a beautiful and piercing squeal, which I hope one day we'll hear here. <laughs> and a few days ago, after a long day, I found myself getting quite annoyed by this loud noise she was making. I was already tired, so my patience was wearing thin. So I could have, I felt it. I just wanted to like just tell her to be quiet, which is not effective with a nine-month-old. <laughs> but rather than doing that, I, I prayed very briefly, God, just give me your patience. And I told Lindsay, Lindsay, this is, I'm really struggling with this noise. And God did. He gave me the patience to see the situation for what it was. Marin's joyous noise was just something that I could enjoy and love. And I was able to, to rather than be, be impatient, be frustrated and annoyed, I was able to see the situation with joy and gratitude. Friends, that's just one instance in my day. And I think we all have instances like this. And this is the guidance that we seek. This is the guidance that the Holy Spirit offers all of us. Our lives are filled with these simple moments when the Holy Spirit can form in us the mind of Christ if we are willing to attend to them and surrender to his work on our lives. When we are attentive to the work of the Holy Spirit in these moments, we are on the right path. The path of the good shepherd who provides guy and guides us as he brings us to our final rest. Rest in God. I've said this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.